having a minimum viable product is essential right now. Bitcoin is dead, you know, from Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal. written about so you really have to get kind of roll up your sleeves get creative but without a minimum viable product as as one example it's really tough to prove that you're going to be able to execute on this great vision Welcome to the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. In this episode, we sit down with Kelly Weaver. She's the CEO and founder of Melrose PR, a PR firm based out of Los Angeles that focuses on cryptocurrency and blockchain. In this episode, we get into the blockchain industry and what's happening with crypto, as well as discuss marketing, other PR techniques, and some of Kelly's favorite life hacks. Please stay tuned. This is a great episode. If you've ever worked in the PR industry, or if you're interested in crypto in the cryptocurrency space. Hey, Kelly, how's it going? Hey. Tell us a bit about yourself and what you're working on. Thanks so much, Trent, for having me on the show. I'm Kelly Weaver. I'm the CEO and founder of Melrose PR. We are a blockchain communications agency based here in Los Angeles, California. And I also host a podcast called Crypto Token Talk. It's a Crypto 101 podcast, newbie friendly, where we discuss uh, various different industry topics with various different industry experts like yourself. And uh, it's been a really fun foray into sort of thought leadership. I really enjoy having these conversations and each episode is supposed to be like a a different educational topic. So it's been a fun project. And you're at the heartbeat of what's happening in the blockchain and crypto space running a PR firm. So what the heck is going on in 2018 with crypto? It's a little bit like a roller coaster, like, woo, what's <laughs> happening next? <laughs> we'll see. It's, it's definitely, we've definitely seen a major shift from where we were last fall, for example. Last fall was a little nutty when everybody was just jumping on the bandwagon and wanted to host an ICO, not necessarily for the right reasons. And we were get, just getting hit up like hundreds of times a week and had no infrastructure built out for how to screen these projects or how to handle the inbound and pick the projects. And so now we've gotten a lot smarter and I think that's representative of the whole entire industry of how to select clients. A lot of the clients that we now work with are through word of mouth and people that we trust that come to us. And then we've seen a major shift from utility token offerings to security token offerings, blockchain infrastructure projects that aren't running ICOs, people who start out saying that they plan to run an ICO and then it either gets delayed or canceled for various different reasons. We've seen people go out to fundraise that have ended up raising equity rounds versus tokenized rounds. So there's a huge shift happening and it's changing every day. I can barely keep up myself. Ultimately, I think it's a really positive thing because we're getting a lot more thoughtful people coming to the table. It doesn't feel quite so much like a gold rush anymore. I don't know if you've had the same experience, but... I think there's a realization that this isn't easy money and there has to be like, you have to build this stuff. And I suppose more of a realization that it may be tougher to build these things. It may be tougher to build a company, first of all, to build on top of this technology that's extremely young to deliver on promises. And, and when you have a very young industry with people who made crazy promises, but then very few of those have been delivered on right now, just the overall market sentiment is, Let's be in build mode versus promise mode. 
I well, think. you have an interesting position because you're coming at it from the PR standpoint. You've got to market these companies. You've got to help them with messaging. You've got to help them establish you know, what their brand identity is and all those kind of components. What are some of the elements that it takes for these companies from a PR marketing standpoint? What are some of the components that you're looking for in a client? Yeah, great question. And I know you've run into this too because you're, you sit in kind of the same intersection that I mm-hmm. do. So we could talk about this all day, but really having a minimum viable product is essential right now. You can't really just have an idea. We, generally speaking, will engage with companies a little bit later in their process than maybe they wanted to. You know, we'll still be having conversations with companies, but until they've really built out that proof of concept, it's really difficult for us to gain traction for them because the reporters are really skeptical, mm-hmm. really tired of hearing about stuff and slammed, right? And their editors are kind of pushing them for stories that people want to read. And if you think about the headlines that you're seeing as a consumer right now, you can kind of think about, okay, well, what is being written about Bitcoin and Ethereum right now? It's pretty negative. People are, you know, it's a bear market and you really feel that, especially in the articles. And so there's a lot of skeptical articles. And and one of the conversations that I had recently with a really good reporter friend who works at Coindesk was make sure that your clients are reading the headlines and understanding what what we are being tasked to write for our editors so that they're not pitching stories to us or you guys aren't pitching stories to us that don't make sense for what our editors want to publish. Now, of course, we have to be creative and like spin things and come up with some positive angles. But ultimately, when things are this sort of down and the people like my dad, for example, who sends the articles like Bitcoin is dead, you know, from Bloomberg and the Wall Street Journal, that's what's being written about. So you really have to get kind of roll up your sleeves and get creative. But without a minimum viable product, as, as one example, it's really tough to prove that you're going to be able to execute on this great vision because you can have this a wonderful vision, but you may not be able to deliver on it. So there's, that's one component. Another is, you know, the team that's behind it. Are you guys, you know, have you succeeded on other projects together before? Working with other teammates is a lot harder than people realize. I think we've seen a lot of teams implode over the past, you know, eight to 12, 15 months, 18 months. So it's like, are, are these people going to be able to work well together to make this happen under pressure? They may have a lot of money, but like through a fundraise, but then they may have disputes about how to use that money. So ultimately the reporters are looking for teams that have been successful in other places. Maybe they have a non-blockchain related company that they're now adding a tokenization element. Those, I think reporters are more apt to write about stories like that because the team seems like they can deliver on it or maybe they have a great background. So. That's a big component. And then partnership. I've seen the same thing. It, it, yeah. I was working on a project and the, the founders just kept fighting. No other way to put it. You know, money complicates things. For sure. So really, um, I guess in the beginning phases, that means like, is this pitchable to reporters where they're going to really believe this is going to happen? Uh, you know, other things that reporters look for, for that makes good for, for good news is like, acquisitions, mergers, partnerships with with bigger brands. Um, Like you just saw this. Congratulations on your uh, recent acquisition by Hackerman. It's so awesome. Thanks. Um, But, and and you saw like, you know, you got a lot of coverage because it's it's an interesting uh, partnership and it makes a lot of sense and um, makes a lot of sense for for Hackerman to have a podcast component, different medium, you know, of of delivering information. So congratulations. 
but like yeah. things like that are news, you know? Yeah. So just keeping these things in mind. And then other things that, that, that I've been told by reporters that they look for, are like, I guess when, when a lot of money, significant amount of money is raised or numbers, you know, statistics, mm -hmm. those types of things make for good. So there's always, those, there's always those like founder stories of that founder who's like a teenager or something. I feel yeah. like I've been reading those for the last like 15, 20 years of my life. Like there's always that story about that one kid who like went to MIT when he was like 14 years old or something and then found some big company. But the funny thing is like, I've read that article probably like 30 times and I have yet to ever hear about any of those people ever again with the exception of like Mark Zuckerberg. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, I think it, I think those stories are motivational, you know, so they are, but I've heard it so many times like rehashed over and over again. So it's just like, after a while, I'm just like, all right, there's a little bit of PR spin here. For sure. And we're looking at companies like when we do our due diligence on the companies that are, that are asking us to work with them, we're looking for different story angles. Like we're not expecting them to come to us and have all the answers on that. We're going to try and comb through all that they have going on, all the different backstories. Are there women on the team? Is there diversity? Is there age diversity? You know what I mean? Like all of these things make for good headlines. And so it is our job essentially to come up with the stories, but we are constantly looking for legitimacy in projects. And that's kind of what I was walking you through in terms of the team's background, the minimum viable product, things like that. Because it protects us. And we're not just, um, we're not just working on earned media anymore. We've really kind of diversified our offering in terms of, we really feel like content is incredibly important. And I mean, you've seen the value of uh, platforms like Medium, putting out great quality content on Medium and on LinkedIn and, you know, developing yourself as a thought leader for these founders is really important. And sometimes you need to tell the story that, the, that you want the press to write about and create some perceived buzz. So we're very much actively developing content with our clients, whether that's for their website, whether that's for their social media profiles, whether that's for their blog and pumping that content out there. And then that's, we use it as part of our pitching strategy for the earned media coverage. So that's a big part of what we do. And I don't know, that's not as traditional for PR, although I feel like because of the way that the landscape of media is changing, maybe more and more PR companies like us are, are doing that, but it's something it's that we really- now. I mean, yeah. that's, that's how social media is kind of set up is you, ha you kind of have to have this like cult of personality around an influencer and you know, you need CEOs, you need the executives to kind of become that. Running this podcast, you're running your own podcast. It, there's a reason for it. It's because we're, you know, we're trying ourselves to establish ourselves as, you know, authorities in this space and talk about different topics and let the world know that, hey, yes, this is what I do. This is what I know. This is what my experience is. And kind of provide that validation and that social proof. You have to be authentic with who you are and let, let the world know who you are and why and how you're the person to solve this problem. Yeah, and we're landing bylines for our clients a lot, like, um, you know, bylines at VentureBeat, bylines at Thrive Global, the new, you know, Ariane Huffington's new website, like, really establishing them as thought leaders. And then what that does is it proves to the media, like the reporters that we work with, that, hey, this person's really knowledgeable in this subject, and they can quote, you can use them for quotes in your article. And so we're, a lot of the time, placing our clients in articles where it's like a a piece about a, a broader topic, but then they're being plugged in as an expert somewhere in there.
Hey, oh, you got a great tech story you want to get published? Maybe something about bots taking over Twitter or how Bitcoin actually works? Or maybe you just have a story about how to build a great software or a great team? Get your expertise published on Hacker Noon. Email us stories at hackernoon.com and a real human will review your submission. What platforms are you using? Where are you seeing like the most traction these days? Well, we use Medium heavily for our clients. Um, LinkedIn's a big one too for the blockchain space especially. We have a community management team as well. So we're using channels like Telegram um, Mm -hmm. and seeding things on on forums like Bitcoin Talk and Reddit. We're also using platforms like Steemit for some of our content. I wouldn't say not as frequently as Medium, but we do use Steemit. We use Quora as well. And we've actually had a couple of pieces that we've put out for clients on Quora syndicated to sites like Inc. and Entrepreneur. So that's kind of cool. We've set up, um, you know, bylines through Forbes and the Young Entrepreneurs Council for our clients. So we're writing content for those. And that's sometimes syndicated to places like Forbes and Entrepreneur. I mean, and then Twitter is a big uh, social channel. We dabble with Instagram and Facebook for our clients. But what we find is, especially on Facebook, without a budget for promoting posts, it's rarely seen. So it's almost a waste of time. We find that things on like Twitter and LinkedIn and just more conversational telegram are much more valuable. Podcasts are great. YouTube, like we work with a lot of influencers like yourself in the space to get our clients, you know, because honestly that's a niche audience that is really captive. And even if it's only like thousands of views or downloads, if it's a podcast, it's super targeted. Exactly. So I think it's really valuable. And you know, some of our clients are like, no, we only want a Wall Street Journal or something. We actually try to prep them in advance. Like you need to have a rounded offering. Sometimes you have to create some buzz by talking to, you know, various different influencers. And then it's like, oh, everybody's talking to this person. They must have something that, you know, legitimate to to bring to the table. And then that's when it's like a a bottom up approach versus top down. I found Telegram really kind of interesting and in how that got associated with the blockchain and crypto space. Cause I've never, I've never really seen like a particular channel or platform be so associated with a particular industry before. Um, and like legitimately there was a period and maybe it still exists where, you know, investors wouldn't even invest in a project unless they saw a certain number of people in a Telegram channel. Um, and that was the kind of vanity metric they were using to measure some yeah. of the ICOs. And at this point, I, you know, I've had people ask me like, how can I get 10,000 people in my Telegram channel? I'm like, you have to pay for them. Yeah, um, growth hacker. <laughs> yeah, like at this point, that's what it takes. Like you either have to have some kind of bot or you need to pay for followers from some kind of, you know, shady service or- We've done um, some uh, bounty campaigns and airdrop campaigns uh, that have been more legitimate for organic growth. And that's grown from like, you know, the hundreds to the like 5,000s range, but not to the hundreds of thousands. Like those are really growth hacking strategies. And I'm, we're learning that and we're, you know, we're more of an organic growth hacking service, I would say, by posting quality mm-hmm. content and really trying to engage the audience organically, but it's a slower burn. And so, I, you know, I, there's a growth hacker here who's just brilliant here in LA. She's amazing. And she helped um, that Referium company or Referium ICO get to, they were the first to hit 100,000 followers in the Telegram group. And I've okay. picked her brain a number of times. And it's <laughs> all about games and gamifying the system. And a little bit of, you know, 
money combined with targeted games and tracking. And I mean, it was a lot of work, but she, she pulled it off. We're more on the organic growth thing, but it's interesting. I totally agree. It's a vanity metric. I would say as things shift more to security token offerings and when the audience is more accredited investors, it matters less how many people I suppose are, are talking in the channels unless it's a really consumer facing concept and they want to see that there's traction with consumers that want this, not not necessarily like investors that are talking about it in the channel. But the reality is it's a chat room. Like you're, you're just getting room. people into a chat room. I mean, chat rooms have existed since the nineties. This is nothing new. You know, ultimately we're in this kind of weird phase right now with the internet as a whole, where it's all pay to play. If you don't have a marketing budget, if you're not engaging with a PR firm like yourself, if you're not working with community managers, if you're not running advertising on Facebook, if you're not doing targeted ads on Google AdWords um, or AdSense, you know, if you're not, if you're not using these advertising systems, it's really, really difficult to reach a mass audience. Do you have any thoughts on what you're seeing when it comes to pay to play? Yeah, it's interesting. We're seeing a lot of pay to play opportunities and some are very legitimate where it's like sponsored content and it appears as such or, you know, when you run ads and things like that. And it's obviously pay to play. There's also this gray area that's happening where unfortunately we're seeing and it's, it really is, a, I think it's an overall net negative for journalism, but you know, there's a lot of contributors in, you know, who are either not being paid by the outlets or being paid very little. And so what they're doing is selling the ability to, you know, work with them. Basically we'll pitch stories to contributors and then they'll say, sure, I'll write the story. It'll, that'll be 800 bucks. <laughs> it's like, wait a second. Hey, yo, you got a great tech story you want to get published? Maybe something about bots taking over Twitter or how Bitcoin actually works? Or maybe you just have a story about how to build a great software, a great team. Get your expertise published on Hacker Noon. Email us, stories at hackernoon.com, and a real human will review your submission. Well, we're usually on the other side of the soccer field, I suppose. We're like pitching to people for earned placements, and then they'll get back to us and say, I'll do it if you pay me this amount. The problem with that is that, like, let's say they're a contributor to, I don't know, Forbes. Forbes isn't seeing any of that money. Like, it's just the contributor, and it's completely against their ethics guidelines. So that's where we really find that it's, you know, kind of getting messy. And it yeah. does just appear like it's just true earned media. And we so don't- Forbes is interesting because actually you can pay to be a contributor. So I've actually been contacted by, you know, like I've been invited to, oh, can you be a, you know, a contributor for like technology council or something at Forbes? Right. And then they tried to charge me as a journalist to write for them. Well, that's through that's, their councils. It's a little different, like, because there is a little, little bit of transparency. So we do some of that for our clients where they, we get them bylines through the yeah. Forbes councils. The problem with that is that, like, really legitimate writers, I'm trying to think of what, uh, what the name of the writer is that um, left Coindesk and went to Forbes recently. His name is escaping me, but he's a really legitimate journalist. Or like Laura Shin, who was at Forbes last year and recently left to, to just run her own podcast. But it desensitizes the value of their true journalism when you're 
I will say the councils, it is edited, and it, I, I do think there's room for that because it says, like, this person is part of the council, or they have, like, spotlight articles, and it's more obvious that there's some element of pay-to-play to the consumer. But yeah. it's, but there's I mean, a lot it's of gray Forbes, It's part of Forbes' business model to charge the journal, some of those people to write for Forbes. And then those people then can get bribed because they're allowed a certain number of publications that they can publish to Forbes, those are some of the people that are getting bribed to then right. write for other people about other topics. So it's, it's a mess, to be honest with you. Like, I, you know, I've been, a, I've been an on and off journalist in, in this space for going on you know, 16, 17 years now. I literally started when I was in like high school, covered Steve Jobs keynotes when I was a kid. Where we were like in the early 2000s when I first started like exploring blogging and journalism, I mean, the word blog didn't even exist when I first started. It's just totally, completely, radically changed. I mean, the internet is just a totally different beast now, especially yeah. because of smartphones. We hit this like critical mass post-2008 where it was like everybody got online because they had a smartphone. And that just totally changed the entire fabric of communication online, the internet, PR, how things get published, what it means to be a journalist. Most of the publications used to be localized. You know, you had the LA Times, you had the San Francisco Chronicle, you know, you have the New York Times. I mean, still you have some of those like older institutions, but like they're not reflective of their past necessarily. And they don't necessarily cover their beat localized. You know, now they cover, you know, the LA Times will write about something happening in Miami, no problem. Things have changed. Yeah. Another thing we help with clients is thought leadership at, you know, as it relates to like speaking on panels and events and conferences. And even that, mm -hmm. as you know, is like all pay to play now too. You know, the whole, especially in the blockchain sphere, although I feel like it really shifted hardcore and now it may shift back because there's maybe less people or startups like willing to punt so much cash for these spaces because the audiences have shifted too. And it's not, they're not getting the they're not drawing the audiences that they once were last fall. I think with a bear market like this, people aren't as apt to, we've noticed it in just like local meetups. It's just a less enthusiastic crowd than it was in like December when it's like, oh yeah, I got to learn about this blockchain Bitcoin thing, you know? Yeah. So it's well, interesting. It's hard now. You can't just buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin and get a return on your investment like you could last year. At the same time, though, you know, I am still a believer. I'm still fully optimistic about the future of blockchain. I believe decentralized networks are the future of the Internet. Uh, there's definitely kind of this Web 3.0 thing that's going to happen here soon. And blockchain sure. is an underlying like infrastructure layer to that. It's just... At the end of the day, how sexy is, you know, infrastructure? Well, you know, it's interesting. Like we hosted a meetup last night and uh, here in our office and it was, you know, uh, pretty well attended. But one of my friends who's in a more traditional space, she's an engineer, but as a really, or project manager for healthcare tech, uh, like records management and not blockchain related, but she's like, it just makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. You know, blockchain makes so much sense in the, in the field that I'm in, you know, when is this going to be a thing and where can I work on this? And it's, you know, had this been last fall, like, I think there would be a lot more like, Oh, like there's this project, this project, this project. And now it's just less sexy. Right. So there's just less companies that are like, really want to build, like, especially when it's like big, massive, massive challenges, like electronic medical records. 
you know? But that stuff still gets me excited. Like I really, that was one of the first use cases that I felt like made me fall in love with this technology in when I, you know, in 2016 was health, healthcare. It just makes sense. Like I don't even have access to my own records. That is crazy. So, you know, and good luck like getting your get doctors it. to share information between. Oh my gosh, it's a nightmare! It's a nightmare! It's like we're we're using a fax, you know? Like, <laughs> what other industry uses fax machines? I don't know a yeah. single one. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, but but unfortunately, because it's like we're ten years away, like you know, from this Web 3.0, when like these these uh, you know bundles of information or like the UCLA healthcare system can talk to the you know the Duke healthcare system on the other side of the country. Like we're so far away from that, unfortunately. Like, yes, it'll happen, and I'm a really big believer, and I cannot wait to see these things happen because, mm-hmm. I mean, ultimately, we're not going to know how that happened, but blockchain is going to power that eventually. It's just too bad that it's so we're so far away, and so I keep coming back to that. It's like there's so many amazing use cases. This technology is not going anywhere. Like it's like no one should get discouraged overall. Like it is still a really good time maybe even to make an investment because it is like, it's still really early days, but Mm -hmm. it's a long, this is a long-term game. This is a long, like this isn't for people who want a quick rush. And so I think we were maybe, perhaps we were attracting the wrong types of people in the industry late last year and early this year, you know, who wanted to like make a quick buck. And that's not, I think ultimately, like we have to remember that that's not what this is about. You know, this is about taking systems that are, you know, don't make any sense, like supply chain, for example, or, you know, like there's so many good examples of, of industries that could just like, are just dying to use this technology. And I love my example of my, my friend, because she's like in it every single day with electronic medical records. And she's like, we need this so badly. How can we make this happen? Yeah. You know, but also for, because she's a developer, like she understands that it's going to take years. That's where we're at. It's, That's where we're at. This is an infrastructure play. The market needs to mature. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it comes down to economics and business models and all the not sexy stuff. That's the phase we've entered. So, but then the result is going to be in two to three, five years, we're going to start to see those decentralized applications. We're going to start to see yeah, that work. The, the user interfaces that rival Facebook and Twitter that then have a decentralized network behind them, the stuff that works. So we're going to see that soon. It's just when, you know, it's, it's going to happen. It's just, is it three years? Is it five years? Is it 10 years? Can't answer that question right now. Yeah. And it, you know, is it going to be that sexy when it's like, Oh cool. I have access to my own records. Like you're probably not even going to think about it. Yeah. At the time, but but that's the yeah. magic of it. Once yeah. that moment happens, that's going to be okay. We built a new world-changing system. It's here. People have just accepted it. Like it's normal, and that is the new way of doing things. I can't wait for that moment because that's yeah. the moment where we actually have some freedom. We actually get some privacy back. We actually get some of our rights restored that have kind of been taken away from us in these centralized systems. So. Totally. Um, you know, I'm looking forward to that freedom that we're going to get. And when it arrives, you know, when a new generation gets to participate in a system that's more fair and more equal, that's a good thing. I mean, won't it be great when, when you and I can send money to each other and it'll feel like it's just like Venmo, but it's not, <laughs> it's decentralized, you know what I mean? Yes. And we're sending Bitcoin and it's that fast and easy. Like, unfortunately, the centralized 
entities are the ones that can pull that off right now versus, you know, when, once we reach scale, it's going to be really exciting. So we're on the Hacker Noon podcast. So I've got to ask you, like, what are, what is the situation or, uh, you know, a time in your life when you've had to hack something and what was the end result? Great question. And I, what comes to mind are life hacks, like little life hacks. Mm -hmm. that tweaks that I've made, you know, especially as an entrepreneur over the past, let's say about seven years, but more recently, one of the hack life hacks I have has really helped me. And I think my greater team and everything, everybody around me is, is self care. So like one of the things that I've really made a point to do uh, in the past few years is go to bed early, uh, wake up early <laughs> I've always been a night owl my entire life. Like I would stay up so late and, you know, feel like I got so much done, but then I'd just be like a zombie the next day mm -hmm. until, you know, about like 11 or so. And now I just feel like when I'm more rested and I take that time for myself to really wind down at night and turn off technology, it's good for everybody. It's good for everybody around me. I mean, I, I have to give a shout out to my husband cause he's less of a night owl. So he's like forced me to go to bed earlier, but <laughs> But yeah, self-care, like, you know, going for a walk, going to exercise, meditating, even for just like five minutes, these little things are great for, you know, just like restarting instead of having a cup of coffee in the afternoon, like I'll just go and sit quietly for a few minutes and then I'll have like a refresh, you know? I feel like when you're in a high, I don't know, like I wouldn't say we're in a high stress environment here. I try to keep it, I'm like, it's marketing, it's not brain surgery, <laughs> you know? <laughs> Yeah. But like when there's a lot going on, it's easy to forget that, you know, like you got to take time for yourself and then you can really show up for others a lot better. So those are like some little life hack tricks that come to mind. And, and, and the same goes like in terms of self-care, like the same thing goes for the team. We've, we've really made it a point this year to like take time and like go go-kart racing as a team or, um, you know, go out to dinner or like we hosted a spouse dinner where everyone like got to meet each other's like significant others. And like those types of things are really important for team bonding and like overall, you know, if you like the people that you work with, you're going to, you're going to like the work you do a lot better. And so we've really made it a point to, I mean, not too much of it, but we even did like some yoga here at the office sometimes and like just do things that kind of bond us as a team that get us out of like the client services, which can be like a vortex where you just like everything for them and nothing for us, you know? And so it's been nice to kind of find that balance. And I think everyone really appreciates that. And it makes it a lot more fun place to work. Do you have any final thoughts before we wrap up? No, it's been a really fun conversation. I really enjoyed it. Thanks for having me on. And where can people reach you? Sure. So you can find out more about our company, Melrose PR at melrosepr.com. Uh, you can find out more about the podcast at CryptoTokenTalk.io. And then I'm on Twitter at CryptoKelly. My name is spelled K-E-L-L-E-Y. Um, I'm also Kelly Weaver on LinkedIn. I'm pretty active on LinkedIn as well. So Twitter or LinkedIn are great places to reach me. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks, Trent. This concludes another episode of the Hacker Noon Podcast. I'm your host, Trent Lipinski. Please don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes and YouTube and follow us on social media. You can also find us at hackernoon.com and podcast.hackernoon.com for more episodes. Thank you for listening.